Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 169, recorded February 12th, 2020. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Brian Aachen. And this episode is brought to you by Datadog. Check them out over at pythonbytes.fm slash Datadog. Get a cool t-shirt for just giving a little trial, installing them, and, and checking it out. Brian, I love a good story. You got a tale to tell us? <laughs> well, yeah, I've got a detail. <laughs> So this was a suggestion on Twitter by, oh gosh, David, David Douglas something? Maybe David Douglas Smith? How do you think you pronounce that? David Douglas Smith. Yeah. That's anyway, what I'm going okay. with. If you can trust the Twitter name to be the real name. Yeah, right. This is a, a little tool, which is pretty darn cool. Detail. This is a quote from their site. A combination of a Flask backend and a React frontend to bring you an easy way to view and analyze Pandas data structures. It integrates seamlessly with IPython notebooks and Python IPython terminals. Currently, this tool supports such pandas objects as data frames, series, multi-index, date time index, and range index. Okay, so there's a live demo on the in the re- linked from the README, and you can go to that. And there's a little arrow on the top left, so you end up with something that looks like a spreadsheet whole thing. But in the demo, you if you click on the little play button, there's a whole bunch of different tools that pop up. One of them, like even just the describe button, if you click that, you can uh, select different columns and it gives you statistics and uh, and a little graph of what the, what data is in there and top 100 values that are in there. That's even cool enough, but that's just a start. This tool also gives you, you can filter your data, do correlations, charts, heat maps, just all looking at a data frame through this user interface. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. When I first saw this, I wasn't sure what to make of it. And playing with the live demo really is the way to check it out, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, after playing at the demo a little bit and then going back to the the readme with all of the information, there's just so much that you can do with this thing. And it's all open source, so you can run it on your own servers or whatever. But it's cool. I like the idea of having a live demo linkable. Yeah, I do too. It it's, makes it real and it's it's a really cool smooth interactive framework for visualizing data i like it a lot i really i think it's like if i did more with panda data frames i'd be all over this yeah cool cool speaking of the data science side of things there's a pretty cool project that just came out called carnets have you heard this not until you listed it but i'm pretty excited (laughs) oh man it's pretty awesome i actually learned about this at pi cascades we were hanging out there with some folks and somebody sent this in to me over email said hey check this out or over twitter or something like that And yeah, everyone was uniformly impressed and thought this was quite cool. So you probably heard of Pythonista. And Pythonista is a not a description of a person who likes Python, but Pythonista being the app in the App Store that is kind, lets you do like automation and stuff with Python on your iOS device, okay? Okay. So what was cool about that is like you can write and run Python on your iPhone or on your iPad natively, which is pretty awesome. This is kind of like that but in that it runs Python natively. But this is Jupyter Notebooks on your phone, or maybe more importantly, on your tablet, like on I- on um, your iPad. Yeah, this is pretty slick. I can't wait to try this out. Yeah, and it's it's super, super smooth. So what's, you know, obviously these days there's options for running and writing Python through your iPad. If like <laughs> that's like that differentiation makes sense. It, we can use Visual Studio Code online, which will just basically put the the front end into a web browser, and then it runs somewhere on Linux and Azure 
or there's some other ones like coder.com and whatnot. But this is no internet required running Jupyter Notebooks locally. And it has built-in IPI packages, NumPy, Matplotlib, SciPy, and Pandas. Pandas, Pandas, already installed. So you don't have to install them or anything. So it's not just, oh, here's a thing you can run Python. Like There's even some of these C-based packages that you might need already installed, which is great. Yeah, it really looks really clean, too. Yeah, for sure. And it also has file sharing ability. So you could like share your stuff through iCloud. Right, so you save your notebooks there, edit them somewhere else, pick them back up again over there. You can import IPYNB files or whatever the Jupyter extension is. Yeah, so it's really quite neat. And it looks like a proper Jupyter app running over there. I think it's great. I'm, I'm impressed. It also extends the keyboard on iPad to give you a couple of actions, some hotkeys or like sort of, um, I guess like uh, the Mac touch bar sort of. So it's pretty cool. One different thing from... Pythonista is Pythonista, I believe you have to pay for on the App Store. This one is open source and free. So just go click install and you have it. And you can pip install stuff. I don't even know how that works. Yeah, it's amazing. It's awesome. There's a restriction on the pip install stuff. So with Jupyter, you can say percent pip install a thing or whatever, issue that to the shell. But this one, you can do that as long as the thing you're pip installing is pure Python. It doesn't have okay. like a C compiler or something like that in your phone. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't this cool though? Yeah, it's very neat. I got to try this out. Yeah, I definitely want to put it on my iPad and check it out. And it has a separate dedicated iPad app that's slightly different, which is nice. Right? I, honestly, like a lot of times you can kind of get away with the both the same app or it's not really that big of a difference. But this is the kind of thing where it's most relevant on iPad or like a larger device. And then it just happens to also work on the phone is the way I would see it. I wouldn't really want yeah. to develop on my phone. I don't know. Doesn't seem great. Right. <laughs> Harder to hook an external keyboard to your phone and whatnot as opposed to an iPad. But yeah, this is really cool. People should check this out. And it's open source. People can go download it and play with it and, and whatnot. Speaking of really cool, Datadog's pretty cool. They're doing really good stuff supporting the show as they have been for a long time. So they're a cloud scale monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and traces. If you've ever wondered what's going on in your app, you know, you can watch one log or another or look at the performance of one part or another, but it's hard to put that all together in an overall request. Well, Datadog is what you want to put all those pieces together. So you can trace requests across service boundaries and that sort of stuff. And they're tracing client auto instruments, popular frameworks like Django, AsyncIO, and Flask. So you can quickly see the health and performance of your Python app. Get started today with a 14-day free trial and a complimentary free t-shirt with a cute little dog on it over at pythonbytes.fm slash datadog. Wonderful. Thanks, datadog. Yeah, thank you, datadog. Brian, you spent some time on a podium not long long ago, didn't you? Yeah, just this last Sunday. Yeah. Or I mean, like, you know, a Sunday ago, depending on time travel. So, yes. And this is actually came from PyCascades. I got this uh, suggestion from Katie McLaughlin. I did my talk using, there's a lot of people that use HTML5-based presentation frameworks, and that's what I was using. I was using remark.js. I chose it because I like Markdown. And so I can write my slides in Markdown and then present it. But there was difficulty. So I, in order to get this all to work, maybe some people know some other secrets to it. But I had to go in a little early and then like go into the extended display mode so that I can drag the the version of the presentation that's going to be on the display, drag that web browser window into the other window that's on the display and then maximize it. But 
I'm not in front of it, so I got to like use the mouse to try to go to the maximize button. And then on the other, my laptop display, I have my presenter notes and timer and stuff. And it actually worked really good, but that setup was a little bit of a pain. And so Katie McLaughlin told me about Podium, which is a Beware application. And I got to tell you, I love the Beware stuff, but one, and they know it also, is that the documentation, they need more help with documentation because there's not much there. But this is cool. It's a native application. It currently supports, there's builds for Linux and for Mac OS, which bummer for Windows people, but it works for me for Mac OS. And it's a, since it's not a browser thing, it's a native app, it can have control over going to different screens and stuff. So when you hit like command P, it just goes into presentation mode. You've got your notes on your computer and the presentation on the extended one, it's automatic. You don't have to fight it. They've also simplified the syntax of the markdown. So remark.js has a bunch of boilerplate HTML stuff on the top and bottom, but um, the podium beware podium has uh, removed that. So your um, markdown file with your, all your slide content is just content. It's not a bunch of other stuff. So I'm really happy about this. Yeah, this looks nice. It's cool to not see it all just a bunch of JavaScript, right? It's cool to have a little bit more of a, a native app that can do more than just something in your browser. Yeah, so this isn't specifically a Python-related topic, but in watching other people's slides, I know a lot of people are using Remark because I recognize it when people do it. So I'm hoping this might help other people too. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone wants to help out with the documentation, a little giphy or video or something of what this looks like and what it does would go a long way just like uh you know the the d-type detail that you had before would be quite cool so or the carnets right just the beware stuff is cool but it's always you know it's just text usually talking about something visual so uh, that would be great now this one i feel like this topic is cheating on you brian i'm gonna cover a pie test thing i love it <laughs> so this is PyTest Mock Resources. So this comes from Daniel Carden, and his company recently open-sourced some of their internal PyTest tools to help them do more PyTest goodness. And I think it's cool that the team at the company put the effort in to open-source this project. So basically, this is something to help out with testing external resources. Now, testing external resources is one of the tricky, challenging bits of testing code, right? I'm going to call the credit card API, but I don't really want to charge it. I just want to simulate calling it and telling it and get the response back. Or I'm going to query the database and I don't really want to hit the database. I just want to simulate getting this data back. And that's already solved with mocks and patching and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But this is a way that you can test if you do need to actually get some data back from the database or from some other service and just go like, I really need it to give me this data back to see that the part that actually processes the query, that that is working correctly. So basically, its job is to set up Docker containers and manage the lifecycle of those around your tests. So it'll fire up a little Postgres server, or it'll fire up a MongoDB server inside of a Docker instance, get it set up for your tests, let your test query against it, and then throw it away. Sometimes it makes sense to have tests that are abstracting away or hiding or patching or mocking the dependencies, like we described, that probably makes sense most of the time. But there's a little slice where it really needs to interact with those resources, and you might want to test that, right? Like, did my SQL Alchemy class get out of shape with the way the database thinks it is? Well, 
I can mock that out all day, but the only way I'm going to find out that doesn't work is try to do a query and have, you know, the relational database throw an exception and say, this column that you're querying for doesn't exist. And then I'll find out, right? So I think it's cool for testing that level. Oh, that's neat. What's your take on this? It's not a domain that I'm in having to utilize, uh, but the I love that people that solve a problem are willing, even in a company setting, are willing to open source it to other people. To let other people benefit as well. Yeah, pretty cool. I can definitely see that using this around the websites and, and stuff like that. There's certain parts where, you know, it really would be easier if it just would generate the sitemap.xml correctly. So then I can use that to poke back at some of the elements and whatnot. It it seems pretty interesting. I haven't used it for anything yet, but it looks looks cool. Yeah, nice. Well, let's keep rolling with testing, huh? Yeah, I guess we got two testing things in a row. This is an article, I wrote the title as How James Bennett is Testing in 2020. The actual article title is How I'm Testing in 2020, but it isn't how I'm <laughs> testing, so it's James Bennett, because it's his article. So anyway, he wrote an article called, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's an article about testing Django applications in 2018, and so he's following it up again to see, you know, kind of what changed. Sounds like he's testing more things than just Django. But it still is, so I'm going to go through a, a few of these uh, using, still using unit test over PyTest, and I I respect that. There's a lot of people that just think in the XUnit style and for some reason have trouble thinking in PyTest, and that's fine. We can both coexist. He's using uh, Tox to be able to test over multiple Django and Python versions and uh, using a Tox Travis plugin to aid the Travis side of that is cool. I like Toxed a lot. Use it almost every day. We've talked about PyENV before for local Python installation management. And so he's using that. And actually, I think we talked about this the other, not too long ago, that if you're using PyENV, there is a PyENV-virtualenv plugin to help you with uh, virtual environments. I'm not using PyENV, but uh, but that's neat. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And uh since you can't use PyTest, he's not, well, he does use PyTest sometimes, but he also gave a list of his uh, run tests script to uh, just run everything. That's especially useful. You can have multiple, I like the idea of this in any way. You can have multiple of these for, let's say you've got a smoke test or suite or different suites that run on Jenkins server or some other, or Travis server. Being able to have one entry point is a good idea. Using coverage also. And he talks about some of his t- extra tools. It's not just uh, functional tests, but things like including Black and iSort and Flakate. And I just appreciate people being very open about their testing workflow. I think more people just write, and really any workflow, Just I think it's interesting to f- find out what people are doing for different parts of their workflows. Yeah, I find this interesting as well. It's kind of not quite a confessional, but I'm like, look, you're going to hear all these new awesome ways of doing things or you're going to hear that you should use this and not that or you have to do it this way here's what's working for me really in a nice practical way and i I dig that yeah it's not like this is the best it's just it's working for me this is what i'm doing (laughs) yeah and there's some cool little extra commands like cleaning up a pycache files and set up install local files and pip upgrade that stuff's nice in building that is as uh talks commands that's something that i learned i picked up from somebody i can't remember who but i'm like oh yeah you don't actually have to run do a, a complete thing you can just have some of your utility stuff within uh, within talks that's nice mm-hmm. absolutely 
Have we talked about GUIs yet? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> there's we a, yeah, there's actually some uh, interesting news about Remy and some people jumping in and contributing to that that I've seen flying by on Twitter. So that's super cool. But I want to talk about QT, uh, pronounced cute. So interesting project here. This is, a, I want to talk a sort of riff on, I guess is the right way to put it, a article by Leo Danis Ramos over at realpython.com. And over there, there's an article about Python and PyQt building a GUI desktop calculator. So if you're interested in getting into Qt, this is a really nice summary. Not too long, you know, shorter than a quick little blog post, but longer than a little quick little blog post, but shorter than a whole book, right? But, you know, like, I think it's a good level that they've got going on over there. So I'm just going to talk about a couple of interesting takeaways and basically the the elements of a Qt application. So if you're going to build them up. So the Qt apps are made up of three or four different big ideas or whatever. One of them are widgets, right? So if you're going to work with Qt, it's basically a wrapper around the C++ API and being that a lot of things are object oriented and whatnot. So if you work with a widget, you derive from QWidget or use something that's already written and driven from QWidget, which are like buttons, text boxes, and so on. And a lot of examples you see will like take those widgets and put them on the screen and say, this button goes at this XY location and this thing goes there. But the other thing that's really interesting there are layout managers. So there's all these different kinds of layout managers that you can use. So you could put in something, let me pull up a quick little example. So you could put in the elements and it has like a horizontal layout where stuff goes left to right to right based on the size of it. Or you can have a vertical one or you can have a grid one. All these different layout managers you can employ to figure out how it will automatically adjust its size as the elements are rearranged or you know the size of the windows change and whatnot. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we got main windows, of course, which is like the essence of your app, right? You're going to create a main window and put your layout manager in it and then let, load it with widgets. And then, of course, you've got an app, queue application for a cute app. And that's kind of like the essence. And then finally, to bring it all together, there's signals and slots, which are kind of like events, I guess, or callbacks. So all the ele- all the widgets, like buttons and whatnot, have these their event catchers from the GUI system of your OS, and then they'll fire off events like, hey, somebody clicked me, hey, somebody typed in me, and things like that. So, yeah, it's just a quick way to get started with Qt that people might want to check out. I think there's a really, they've done a really good job. It's, just, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, the the Qt demos and tutorials, there are many around, but um, having it all just in one one single page is pretty neat. Exactly. I feel like there's been, there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's all kind of hit and miss. And you're like, I don't feel like I quite have the whole story. And so that's why I wanted to bring this up because Dan and crew, Leo Danis, they're doing a good job on this. Now, one caveat I do want to throw out there before you spend a week getting this all up and running and find out stuff about it. Either you need to have a lot of money to work on this or you need to have it be open source or internal, not distributed projects they can be used at your company i believe but they have to be not distributed i think that's the important thing hmm. oh because of the cute licensing the cute licensing is it's like dual license either gpl or lgpl or it's commercial and i'm pretty sure these are commercial projects you have to have a commercial license and the commercial license is five thousand five hundred dollars per year per developer okay that's a lot to me, that feels like a lot of money for a GUI framework. Yeah. Right. When I could go use Java, I could use uh, C++, I could use Windows Forms from .NET, 
there's like a bunch of options that are are solid. I don't know. It just it seems all of those options sounded horrible to me though. I know. Well, you just listed. <laughs> I know. I'm with you, but uh, it's not like you pay five thousand dollars once or you pay five hundred dollars once. It's a as long as you care to own this application, it's five thousand five hundred a year per developer, and that's just that's a lot. So anyway. It's not to say don't do it, right? If your company is like, hey, we really want to go with this technology, we want to go that way, that makes sense and we can totally justify it. But it's not something I, if I was like, hey, I'd like to create a little app, maybe I'll create like a desktop version of the TalkPython player app that does cool like offline support and stuff. Maybe I'll use Qt. Like, no, I wouldn't use Qt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? I mean, because I'm not going to pay, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000 a year for that because it's just, I don't know. That's just the way it is. Anyway, yeah. I always want to throw that caveat there because it's not just like, oh, you got to pay a little bit for it. It's like a, you got to consider that that's a non-trivial amount of money to use it that way. So I just want to throw that out there. Well, yeah. And if we've gotten this story wrong, please somebody tell us. Yeah. I did poke around their site a lot and uh, I was looking for the exact quote, but basically if you're going to release it commercially, I believe that this is the case. But yeah, if, so, if we got it wrong, oh, someone tell us. I believe you. <laughs> I just don't want to believe you. <laughs> I know. I know. All right, cool. Well, yeah, if somebody has more details than that on the license, but that is, I spent probably 30 minutes trying to figure this out to make sure I got it right. And that's what I took away from what's on their website. Okay. What about uh, the extra stuff, the things that we're not quite covering, but we're still covering? What do you got? Well, we did mention PyCascades a couple of times. As of this recording, they don't have the, uh, the individual talks chopped up into videos yet. I don't know if they're going to, but they, the live stream video of, uh, day one and day two, so everybody's talk, if you, you can kind of fast forward through it, is available. That was available right away, actually. They were pretty fast about it, which is pretty cool. I like, we're leaving a link to that, and I also just want to do a huge shout out and thank you to all of the vo- volunteers for Pie Cascades. It was a really fun event, and I appreciate everybody's time. Yeah, Pie Cascades was great, and it was really fun to, to be there and meet all the folks that I did. I had a moment of panic and anxiety shortly before my talk and back in the green room uh nina zakarenko noticed and probably because i said oh my god i'm freaking out and uh (laughs) she helped me through to calm down and uh before the talk and i really appreciate that so i wanted to thank nina on the show yeah how about you in any extras Uh, just a couple quick things i did a live webcast that i talked about like a month ago on the show for python for dotnet developers a bunch of people signed up that was awesome that happened yesterday and so now the recording is available so i'll link to that in the show notes people can go listen to that or share it with their friends and whatnot colleagues and also i've talked about this before i'm pretty sure but i sent out a message and a whole bunch of people were like oh really so i just want to throw it out that if you go to the talk python training site and get one of our apps those apps you can download them for free and when you open up it and log in It'll give you a list of our free courses and you just tap them. You can take a bunch, three at the moment, probably more in the future, of our free courses on your iPad or Android tablet or whatever it is you want to take them on. So check that out if that sounds cool to you. When you first released this, I didn't quite get the value, but I really appreciate the mobile app because for me, bookmarking stuff on a, I bookmark stuff on my desktop all the time, but bookmarking stuff on my, on my mobile phone, I don't really do that. So keeping track of which courses I've been partway through, it's really handy to just have this right in the app. I like it. Awesome. I use it a lot. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. And also, it, there's a bunch of restrictions, especially around iOS. Like, it won't autoplay the next 
video. So you've all constantly got to be going like play, play, play in the mobile app. And you can't quite full screen it as much because there's like a little, you know, the address bar on some browsers. Anyway, yeah, thank you for that. That's awesome. What? So the, the mobile app can't auto play? No, the mobile the... app does. But if, if it the alternative okay. were to be to watch it with Safari or Chrome or something on iOS, it's kind of restricted. Yeah, yeah right. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, how about a how about a joke? I would love a joke. All right, I'll take one. You take one because I couldn't decide. I had three and I chose two. They're both short, okay. so I figured like that'll round it out. So here you go. Did you know that programmers they sometimes get confused about when holidays are? No, they do because especially Halloween and Christmas. And okay. there was you know like not a real good reason people couldn't figure it out until someone realized that oct thirty one is death twenty five. <laughs> this is so wacky that that's true that's and plus it's funny yeah all right what's the other one okay let me read it first okay speed dating is useless five minutes is not enough to properly explain the benefits of unix the unix philosophy <laughs> it might not be enough to explain the unix philosophy but if that's the start to a date it might still be effective <laughs> yes in communicating what it's got to oh uh, yeah oh boy all right well that's pretty funny. So. Thanks again, as always. Great to be here with you. Thank you. Yep, bye everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.